Uh, Jonah, uh, one and two previously in other sessions that we've had. And, uh, and now I'm going to, as soon as I can get my screen adjusted so I can figure out what I'm doing. Okay, let's see. I think this will work. Can you still see me? Okay, good. And I hope I don't have screen sharing because uh, if you're speed readers, you're probably going to be able to read through my notes faster than I can, uh, which wouldn't be good. So let's read Jonah chapter three. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would help us as look into your word this evening, that we would um, each... Uh, Receive that uh, message that we need to hear. And uh, would you just uh, give us, give each person here a blessing from your word as we look at it. We thank you in Jesus' name. So we're, we're looking at uh, Jonah's preaching tonight. We've been through the first two chapters in which we saw Jonah's rebellion in the first chapter and then Jonah's prayer. Uh, from the belly uh, of the great fish and in the second chapter. And now we are coming to the third chapter and in which uh, we have the preaching of Jonah. It's interesting that as a prophet, there's very little recorded of what he prophesied. There's probably more in Second Kings. Um, chapter 14, where it just mentions him and the prophecy that he had there concerning uh, Josiah. But uh, 
but here we we don't really have a prophecy we have the, this book records the relationship that uh, existed and uh, we get a we get some glimpses into the relationship between Jehovah and Jonah and um, so we'll just uh, we'll just jump in here at verse one where the word of the Lord came to Jonah and note the similarities to uh, the first verse of chapter one where it says now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai saying it's it's nearly word for word they just left out who uh, Jonah's father was and they add that this is the second time that the word came to him. What a privilege Jonah had as a prophet to receive the word of the Lord. Now the Lord initiated this. Uh, it wasn't something that uh, Jonah contrived to have uh, in his life, but the, the Lord spoke to him. He had tremendous privilege in having that word and he had tremendous responsibilities as well. So this was the second time and uh, note that this second time that the word of the Lord came to Jonah was after his rebellion and his rescue by the fish. And uh, the Lord does not give up on uh, his people. Um, Jonah was not cast off because of his unfaithfulness, his rebellion. Jonah experienced severe consequences. Can you imagine being in the belly of a whale, a fish, uh, for several days? And, uh, and uh, that's what Jonah had. But then uh, Jonah was then brought back at the end of that to the very point where he failed. He, he was to start over and he was given this, the same command that he was to, in the second verse, to uh, arise and go to Nineveh, precisely the same words that were given him in the second uh, verse of the, of the chapter, of the uh, book in chapter one. And he was to arise and go to Nineveh. There are some, there are real, uh, similarities there, but there are some differences as well. Now we note that Nineveh is a great city and we'll look at that uh, as we get down a couple of verses. But uh, the words are very similar here that he is to arise and go to Nineveh and to preach to it. Now remember in chapter one, verse two, he was to cry out against that city, that great city. And, um, and uh, as I understand, there, it's the same verb that is to preach or to cry out. It's the same Hebrew word uh, expressed there. The difference is in the preposition that alters its impact. He was to speak uh, again in, in chapter one, to speak against the city and its inhabitants. And then in chapter three, he's to speak to the city and its inhabitants. 
inhabitants. Now, um, I'm not a, a Hebrew scholar and it's, it's rather frightful to try to speak about these things in front of Dick Anderson. But from my understanding and from what I've studied, uh, to preach against um, involves a threat of coming judgment as uh, it, the same words are in First Kings chapter 13 where the prophet cries out against the altar at Bethel and uh, said that Josiah will um, sacrifice false prophets and burn their bones on that altar. So there's, there's coming judgment when it's preaching against or crying out against. However, in chapter three here, he's to preach too. And in, as my understanding in every instance where it says that, uh, that someone is to preach too, they have a call to repentance and it in, and there is involved there a promise of deliverance. Um, example, Deuteronomy 20 and verse 10, when um, Israel was going to war, before they began the battle, they were to proclaim an offer of peace uh, to the ones that they are battling against. And um, uh, in Zechariah 1, it says, turn from your evil ways and your evil deeds. And uh, then the Lord promised if they did turn, there would be good and comforting words and mercy to them. So uh, there is a, just because of the preposition that's there, there's a difference in, in the, the way that it appears that that the Lord wants Jonah to speak to the, to the people. And we'll get back to this as, uh, as we go down through some of this stuff. Now, uh, the, it's interesting that uh, Jonah was to speak the message that I tell you, it says in, in verse two. And uh, that appears that the content of the message would be given later. And indicates that, that indicates, of course, that the Lord would be with Jonah, uh, which we know is true. He was there. He may, he may not have known that, um, but he certainly has uh, the encouragement if the Lord's going to speak to him uh, again, that uh, the Lord has not cast him off and the Lord is not sending him to, uh, into a difficult work alone, but there's a, the promise of God's presence and uh, almost in the idea here of a step-by-step -step leading so that the prophet can exercise a continual dependence on the Lord as he goes along. So then in verse three, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Certainly a difference from what he did in chapter one where he, very similar words, he, Jonah, arose to flee to Tarsus. And, uh, but he, here he's, uh, his obedience uh, is, it's true that he was obedient uh, and he arose and went. 
but his obedience doesn't seem to be optimal. Um, as we will see more of that in chapter four, his, he complied, we can say, but it doesn't appear that he had correct heart attitudes as he went uh, to the city of Nineveh. But he went according to the word of the Lord. And I think by this time, Jonah probably realized that it was uh, resisting the Lord was a little bit fruitless, you know. Uh, and uh, and so he he went. Now it speaks in uh, in this verse of <clears throat> uh, we had had twice before we were talked about Nineveh being a great city, and here it's saying that uh, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days journey. Now we don't really know what the three day journey means exactly. Though it is thought and probably most likely means that uh, it would take three days to walk around the perimeter of the city. It was that, it was that size of a city. There have been some um, historical records of this city that it was um, a, a large, large city that men have calculated that it would probably take three days to walk around it. It also had uh, tremendous walls that, uh, that were, I believe, 100 feet high and something like 40 feet thick. And they could actually drive chariots around on the top of the, of the wall of the city. Agreed. So it was an exceeding great city. And we, we know that now. Jonah had to travel at least 500 miles to get to Nineveh. Um, and uh, he was most likely walking. During his traveling time, news about Jonah and the storm and the fish may have reached Nineveh before he did. And it may have predisposed the Ninevites to listen to Jonah when he arrived. And it's possible that his physical appearance uh, may have been altered and may have had uh, some added impact to his message. Now, it's interesting that Nineveh, in the uh, empire of Assyria, had a god whose uh, one of the gods which they worshipped was named Dagon. And uh, an ancient god worshipped throughout Mesopotamia and Canaan and was a fish god. Um, that is interesting as well because a fish, of course, had been involved in the preservation of this prophet who is a foreigner coming into the city of Nineveh. But if news had reached them that there was, it was, had been preserved by the miraculous actions of a fish uh, that may have also added to the impact that he had so that he had a listening ear when he arrived. Now Jonah entered the city and he began to preach, it seems, on the first day as he walked through the streets. And uh, we see in, in verse four. And, and uh, it's interesting the method that he had was street preaching, it seems like. 
Uh, he did not go in and search for a building to rent. He didn't go in and put up a tent and start tent meetings. Uh, he did not go to the ruling class. Uh, he did not go to the academic elite, but he just began to preach to the people. And that was his method. And his message was simple. Um, we only have a few words of what his message was. I doubt this is all he had to say. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It was a simple message that they could understand that uh, the destruction of their city was imminent, but not immediate. There was time, sufficient time before the destruction of their city would occur. And uh, it, it wasn't a long time, but it was sufficient notice to them of the peril that was coming. And just this one verse contains a summary of uh, Jonah's preaching. And his preaching probably was more than just these words and probably included a call to repentance and a promise of rescue. Now, the reason why I said that is because of what I had said at the beginning that, that, that Jonah was to preach to the city. He was not to preach against the city. Although there, I mean, if you're telling people that in 40 days their city is gonna be overthrown, then uh, there's, in a sense, there is uh, preaching against it. But there's more than preaching against it. There, there's, uh, there was probably an element of a call to repentance and uh, an element as well that of a promise of rescue. And he may have told those people of Nineveh uh, something of the Lord um, so that they knew what kind of a God it was that they were dealing with. But the command of the Lord was to preach to this city. And uh, in verse 5, we see that the people of Nineveh believed God. Uh, we don't know what they know, knew about God. They don't, don't, we don't know the content of their belief. Uh, but uh, they believed. They did believe. Uh, did they believe uh, in the justice of God? A God of justice? A God of power? a sovereign God, a God of mercy, um, we don't know. But their belief was genuine and it was sincere because God saw that they believed. He saw that they uh, repented and he, and he changed the um, action that he was going to carry out against that city. But we don't know what they believed precisely, but we know that in Hebrews 11 uh, and verse 6, it talks about without faith, it's impossible to please him. For uh, those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Well, I don't doubt that those people of Nineveh believed that God was real. And they believe that he is a God who, uh, from, from that verse in Hebrews, a God who rewards. Now, that, that term 
for reward there can have positive or negative uh, implications depending upon the context. But for the people of uh, Nineveh, this is a God who is going to settle all accounts and recompense the evil that they had done. The wages of sin is death. And uh, and I think that that was brought out in the message of Jonah. But uh, this is a God who also would reward them with uh, by relenting of the evil that he had said he would do. So they did believe there is repentance as far as we can tell, because uh, they were fasting from the common man to the king. And uh, this was not something that had been seen in Israel, that there was a um, widespread repentance when the many prophets that came to them with many miraculous signs preached to people with hard hearts who continued in their rebellion. Um, but uh, we know that they repented that repentance did not earn them forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is, is God's free gift to, uh, to people. And we don't, uh, we don't get the idea here that, that uh, because they repented, then they earned a forgiveness and were not punished. But they recognized their guilt and they recognized that they were accountable to the God of heaven. Uh, even the king heard. Someone told him. It appears that someone informed him from the language of uh, verse 6 that the king heard. He arose from his throne, his place, his proper place as a ruler. He laid aside his robe, which was a sign of his royal dignity, and he humbled himself in sackcloth and ashes, being the symbols of humiliation, an outward expression of an inner repentance that uh, we believe was true of the king. And he issued a decree for fasting, no food and no drink, not neither for man nor for beast. Uh, they were to deny their physical needs because their spiritual needs were so great. And we can look in uh, Isaiah 58 and in Zechariah 7 to see a, a description of what the genuine fast, the fast of God was to be. And um, I'm just going to um, turn there and read uh, in Isaiah, I won't read both of the, both of the sections, they're very similar, but this is what, um, what Isaiah had said. Uh, is this not the fast that I have chosen, says the Lord, to loose the bonds of wickedness? to undo the heavy burdens, let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not that you share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor 
who are cast out. When you see the naked, you cover them and do not hide yourself uh, from your own flesh. Uh, and uh, the, the passage in Zechariah 7 is very similar as well. Well, the, the decree was for four things. The first one was fasting. The second one was sackcloth and ashes. The third one was that they cry mightily to God. And we take this to mean that they um, prayed to God with uh, fervor and urgency and devoted themselves to prayer with a depth of personal conviction that was, that was genuine. And then the fourth thing was that they turned from the evil and the violence that they were practicing. And of course, a change in behavior is evidence of true repentance. It was um, the desire of the king that his city would be spared. And in verse 9, we, we see that who can tell if God will turn and relent, turn away his fierce anger so that we may not perish? And this may have been, he may have said this as a result of the preaching of Jonah. We don't know, but somehow the, the king uh, realized that was a possibility. Now, he did not, uh, he did not have a guarantee of that. He knew there was no guarantee. He didn't presume upon God, and he didn't uh, bargain with God. But he, um, but he called the people to a genuine repentance. And uh, then it, they would be relying upon God's mercy and God's goodness to uh, spare them. By the grace of God, he knew that it would be done. Well, that God was merciful. And uh, in verse 10, we see what God did he saw he saw their works that they had turned from their evil way god relented from the disaster that he had said that he would bring upon them he did not do it god saw genuine repentance in in the people's uh, spirit and heart and uh god knows the hearts of men there's nothing hidden from the lord uh, and God relented from the disaster that, that he had proclaimed through his prophet. Um, of course, there is a question which um, has been dealt with uh, another time and is for another subject. Of, can the immutable God change? If he said he's going to do something, can he change and do another thing? Well, he says that he will, in fact. In Jeremiah 18, if a, if a nation has had the proclamation of disaster upon it and they change their ways, he will relent concerning the evil that he was going to bring upon them and, uh, and not do it. And vice versa, if a, if a nation that is good goes bad, then he will, uh, he will bring a judgment upon them. But it's interesting that, uh, it, as it says in Ezekiel 33, 11, God has no pleasure 
in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his ways. And, and uh, Peter, in Second Peter says, the Lord is long suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's not God's desire to punish, but it is God's desire to redeem and reconcile them to himself. And God maintains an unchanging character, unchanging standards, unchanging purposes. And in his actions, he promises to bless those who are obedient and to curse those who are in rebellion. Well, it wasn't an idle threat. You know, Nineveh was eventually destroyed. And the timetable was put on hold for a time, but uh, that city was destroyed. So uh, then what we've seen is an unwilling prophet takes an unaltered message to an unworthy people who then receive an unmerited deliverance. Say that again. Say that again, says my wife. Okay. An unwilling prophet takes an unaltered message to an unworthy people who receive unmerited deliverance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this chapter and, and the life of Jonah and in the lives of so many at Nineveh. We thank you that you are a God who is merciful. And when you proclaim uh, disaster, destruction, that you also hold out the hope of repentance. And um, we thank you that we do always have the, the promise of your, uh, of your mercy when our hearts are truly changed. We thank you that you work in our hearts to bring us to the point of repentance. And uh, we thank you for the example in this whole uh, city. And we take it also uh, in a personal way in our own lives that there may be areas in which you are calling us to change, to repent, to change our thinking and our affections and our values and change our behavior as well. So do work in our lives, continue to work to accomplish in us what would please you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.